How you're doing? Right, before I get into the message, this is what we're going to do. Because this is what I felt during the worship. If you don't know, if you're first time visitor, my name's Craig. I'm part of the team here. Nice to meet you. We'll just chat afterwards over coffee. Right, before we get into it, just while we're during the worship, we, we, are, we are living in a very weird season all over the world. In fact, <clears throat> um, statistics coming out of America and out of Australia shows that church attendance after lockdowns has diminished by 30 to 40% of people. People that were going to church regularly stopped going altogether. And I think there's a reason for that, and I think it's this. In, in Matthew chapter 14, there's a story of Jesus walking on the water, and as he's walking on the water out towards the disciples, just take a little bit of treble out of my voice, it would be awesome. As he's walking out towards the disciples, the disciples don't recognize him, and they think that he's a ghost. All right? So they don't recognize Jesus coming to them on the water. They think he's a ghost. Just take a little bit more out, please, because I'm getting a bit of feedback. They're coming out onto the water, walking out towards him. They think he's a ghost. And Peter's response is this. Peter says this, Lord, if it's you, command me to come. Now, Peter didn't know whether it was God or not. I think we're living in a time where if we can't recognize his voice when we can't see his face, we're not going to hear his commands. I think we've lived in a time as the church worldwide where we have looked for signs, but now we're in a season where we need to hear the signs. And I think we're living in a season where you have to be able to recognize his voice even though you can't see his face. Are you with me? Come on, talk to me today. Yes? Because some of you, you're looking around and you go, God, what are you doing? What's happening here? What's happening? What's going on? And you can't see what God is doing. You need to stop looking and start listening. Don't, don't be quiet on me. Come on. I'm sharing something with you right now that will change your life if you get hold of it. Because too often we're looking for signs instead of listening to his voice. And the Bible says this, that we walk by faith and not by sight. It's actually about hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we've got to stop looking and start listening. And when you start listening, you'll hear the commands and then you'll be able to walk on the water even while the wind and the rain and the waves are crashing around you. You'll be able to walk through your circumstance, walk through your situation, not because you're looking, but because you're listening. Yeah. And so I think it's really, really important in this season that we hear his voice. How do you hear his voice? You've got to get close to him. The thing about Jesus is, or about God is this, is that it usually comes in a gentle whisper. Why in a gentle whisper? Why doesn't he shout at us and get our attention? Because for us to hear him means that we have to get close to him. You can only hear a whisper if you're in proximity of the person whispering. It's all a season to get you closer to him. Not to punish you, but to get you closer to him. We need to get in proximity to him, because God's not interested. I found God say this to me this morning. God's not interested in how many bums we have on seats, but how many lives are transformed by his power. And that's what I believe this season is. It's a season of transformation for you, and it's a season of transformation for me, and not much else really matters in the big scheme of things. Yeah? All right, now that I got that out of my system, how are you enjoying the How to Hug a 
vampire series? You're enjoying it? Anybody sitting beside someone that sucks the life out of you? Come on, you can put your hand up. I'll protect you. Thank you. I saw that hand over there. And um, we've been looking at this over the last few weeks. And, and this week and next week, we're going to look at how to suck proof your life. Because I don't know about you, but, but how do I, like, let, let me put it this way. Jesus, out of everybody that's ever walked the face of the planet, probably had people suck the life out of him more than anybody else has ever had. You know, every time he tried to get away from his own by himself to get some time out, the crowds came following, yeah? He never got a break from people. It, they were continuously drawing off him, sucking off him, drawing the life out of him. Yet Jesus was also the person that walked the face of the planet that loved people more than any of us will ever love people. So how did, how did Jesus have this ability to be around people all the time that suck the life out of them, but still love them incredibly at the same time. Is it possible to rise above the dysfunction of suction and love people? Because you know what I'm talking about. There are some people in your world, you're related to some of them, and you're just like, I just can't ever be around them. I'll be honest with you, there's somebody... And my extended family, not my wife and two kids, but my extended family, that if I have more than about 48 hours with them, I either want to kill them or run for my life. Yes? Anybody else got people like that in your world? Be honest. Come on. Be honest. You all have people like that. You see them in the supermarket and you go up the next aisle. Don't look at me like that. I know you do it. Or you see them walking down the street, so you duck into a shop that you don't even want to buy anything from. I, I, I saw Rimmer walking up the road the other day, and I, and I waved out to him, and he ducked into the Bend On lingerie shop, and he doesn't even... I'm just joking. But we all have people like that that we escape, Yes. People that say, hey, we should catch up sometime. Yeah, yeah, we'll catch up sometime. And your intention is never to make that time. Because you don't want to catch up. Because they drain the life out of you. So how do we rise above the dysfunction of suction and love people? Well, first and foremost, it's not possible in our own strength. Because we just can't do it. We've got to have God with us. We've got to have God's strength with us. And so over the next two weeks, we're going to look at four truths from Jesus' life that suck-proofed his soul and will suck-proof our soul. We're going to look at two this week and we're going to look at two next week. Is that all right? First one is this. Nobody can take what you've already given away. I think this is the most important thing that we can learn. Nobody can take from you what you've already given away. John 10, 17 to 18 Jesus speaking, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying, hey, nobody tricked me into dying on the cross. I lay down my life. I chose to lay down my life. He could have stopped it. He could have decided that he didn't want to. He could have called all the armies of heaven to come and rescue him from this place and take him away. 
Nobody made Jesus do it. He wasn't killed. He offered himself to God. Are you with me? So when you're dealing with people that the devil is trying to use to bring you down, and remember, it's not the people that are the problem. It's the enemy behind the people. And sometimes God will use people like that to actually help you, not hinder you. It's called sandpaper ministry. They get the rough edges off you. Brothers are born for adversity. Iron sharpens iron. You need some of that in your world. But when you're going into a situation that you know is one of those situations that's going to suck the life out of you, we need to model the initiative of Jesus. These people wanted to kill him dead, but he didn't let them because he chose to die instead. And so what looked like was the murder of Jesus was actually a sacrifice because nobody can take something from you that you choose to give. Jesus wasn't murdered on the cross. He laid down his life on the cross. If you give it to God, then the devil can't steal anything. If I lay down my life for him, Nobody can ever take anything from me. People can't suck the life out of me because I've given my life to Jesus. The devil can't steal what I've freely given to God. If I give my rights to God and I don't have rights any longer, then nobody can offend my rights or infringe on my rights because I've already given my rights to God. So you can't infringe on my rights because I've given them to him, God who is the source of of our lives. When somebody tries to infringe on my rights, it doesn't offend me because I've already given them away. And so what can they steal from you? The thief can't steal anything from an empty house. Thief can't walk into a house and go, I'm going to rob this house, but there's nothing in there. There's nothing to steal. There's nothing to take because all of it has been laid down, has been given to God. Everything has been given to him. And so sometimes it's not so much that they have taken something from you, but sometimes it's that God's trying to get you to give him something. And it takes a transitional thought process or mindset for us to understand that, that the Bible teaches that your life is no longer your own, but you've been bought with a price. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That unless I pick up my cross and follow him daily, I'm not fit for the kingdom of God. And if if we would just follow Jesus' example and choose to lay down our lives and give our whole life to God, everything about us, our dreams, our desires, then none of that can ever be taken from you because when the enemy comes in to your world to try and steal your dreams, he'll find no dreams there because they're in the presence of our Father. It is really good, isn't it, Anna? Acts 20 33 to 35 says this, this is Paul talking, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, it is more blessed to give than receive. It's more blessed to give 
than receive. So when we have an attitude where I've actually already laid down my life so there's nothing there for you to take, then when we approach our relationships or when we approach church, we don't approach it with what can I get from it. Because if we approach relationships, if we approach a relationship with God, if we approach church, if we approach relationships with others about what can I get from it, then what you're doing is you're taking rather than it's more blessed to give than receive. And so what you're doing is you're receiving rather than giving. And so therefore you're limiting the blessing because your mindset is wrong because you're looking about what can I get from this rather than what can I give into this. You see, what increases the blessing in your relationship, be it marriage, be it with your kids, be it in church life, whatever it is, is what increases the blessing on relationships is what you give into it, not what you take from it. And marriages that work the best are a marriage where the husband and wife are both giving into it and not trying to take from it. So quiet today. See, the thing here is if you primarily give something then you will get everything you need as a byproduct of your giving. Give it away so nothing can be stolen. Give it all away to God, and then no one can steal it from you. How do we do do that? Good question. Once when I was in America... um, I was traveling with my pastor at the time, Pastor John, and we were, we were traveling from a, a place called Tallahassee in Florida um, over to New Orleans. And uh, we were picked up um, in a car by a person. And obviously, I'm sitting in, in the back seat, you know, because I'm, oh, I was just an intern at the time, so I don't get to sit in the front seats. Um, so hurts. Nah, just joking. Um, and so I'm not sitting in the front seat. I'm sitting in the back seat, and we're in Florida, and it was summer, and it was hot, man. It was, like, really, really hot. And, um, and it's a decent drive. It's like a five, six-hour drive. And, um, and we're, we're driving along, and the econ seems to be going really well in the front, and they seem to be fresh and not hot. And I'm in the back, and I'm just sweating. Like, I am sweating like you wouldn't believe but, but I'm not going to say anything because I'm an intern. And what intern turns around and says, I'm really hot in the back. You know, like you just, it just wasn't done back then, you know. I just, so I just got to tough it out, you know, all, all for Jesus. Um, and I'm just toughing it out, sweating in the back seat. And, and we arrived at the destination that we were going to. I hop out of the car and I, I'm just covered in sweat. And my pastor looks at me and he goes, you know, there's climate control in the back. You didn't have to sweat all the way here. You could have had climate control in the back. And I'm here to tell you today that you don't have to be in the front seat of a relationship to control the climate. You can have rear control and let God have front control. You can lay down your life, choose to, trust him with the front control, and you can have rear control. So you don't have to sweat those relationships. You don't have to stay mad. You don't have to be uncomfortable. You can use your rear control to make decisions so that nobody can take your peace. No one can take your joy because I don't have it. I've given it to him. No one and nothing can take anything from 
from me if I give it to God first and entrust him with it. Nobody takes my life because I lay my life down. And don't ever say someone made you miserable because no one can make you miserable unless you give your life to them instead of to him. But if we lay down our lives to him, then we can't be miserable because he's in control. You see, the peace that you have in your heart has very little to do with the inputs of others and everything to do with your relationship and intimacy with your heavenly Father. Shall I say that again? Because I think we all think, including myself, that whether I have peace or not in my heart is really determined by the people that are around me. Can we go to the next slide? It should be on there, the phrase. There we go. We think that the peace that we have in our lives is dependent on the relationships we have around us. I would suggest to you that the peace that you have in your heart has little to do with the input of others and everything to do with your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Peace I give you, peace you have that the world doesn't understand. It's the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, not the peace of your relationships. You can have rare control, and Jesus proves it because he was able to go and lay down his life as a sacrifice on the cross and have complete peace about what he was doing. The second thing is is that first thing is you've got to lay down your life. The second thing is never write anybody off, but always watch your balance sheet. What do I mean by that? Matthew 13, 1 to 9, Jesus is talking about different soils. He says, The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake, such large gatherings gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he said to them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. Then he was scattering the seed. Some fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil and it produced a crop 160 and 30 times what was sown. Whoever has an ear or whoever has ears, let them hear. Later on in that chapter, Jesus goes on to give an explanation that the different types of soils represent different kinds of people and that the seed represents the Word of God and how those different results each time that the Word of God is sown, that depending on where the soil or the kind of soil that it lands on determines the outcome of that seed. You see... What Jesus is showing here is that not every person that gets a good investment is going to bring about a good return. Not every person that gets a good investment is going to bring about a good return. The seed isn't the problem. The soil's the issue. The soil's the issue. The seed that you are giving or that you're inputting into people, that you're showing love towards people, that you're serving towards people, the seed isn't the problem. The problem is always the soil that it lands on. And so not every single person is going to love you back the way that you love them. Welcome to parenting. Not everybody is going to do something nice for you 
that you do for them. And if you could draw up a spreadsheet of your life and you had on a ledger on one side everything that I've done for people and on the other side everything that they've done for me, um, and on one side you could put a relationship that are assets, you know, you've got some people over here that are like real assets to you. They refresh you. They replenish you. They restore you. And then on the other side, you can put down people that are in relationships that are more like liabilities to you. It's, it's not that they're bad people, but they can just have a negative effect on you and you just feel like they drain you. And, and, and you put those things in place. I would suggest that some of you, the ledger of people that are a liability to you is a greater amount than those that replenish and refresh you. Is a lot of, you put a lot of effort in, but there just isn't much that you get out of it. Jesus put it this way. He said, don't cast your pearls before swine. Not that he's calling people pigs. He's just saying that, you can't give yourself away freely and indiscriminately without measuring the investment because you're a limited resource. You, you, you can't pour out your whole entire life into everybody that wants a piece of you because you're not infinite in what you have. Jesus can freely give of himself because Jesus never, ever runs out. But you can't. You are a limited resource, and only God can give himself freely to everyone because he is unlimited. But you and I, we are, we are limited, and so we have to be strategic about how we put time into different relationships. Jesus in this parable actually gives us permission to classify and categorize relationships or people, not label them, not label them, as labeling people as judging them, but just categorizing them. Just going, okay, so that's, that's a person that refreshes. That's a person that doesn't mean that you treat them any differently. You're just understanding where you're going to position them. Are you, are you with me? Jesus categorizes these different types of soils and we can categorize different types of relationships in our lives so that we know how to interact with those relationships. It's not to avoid them. It's so that we understand how we need to interact with them. So on a Saturday for me, I generally don't tend to hang out with a whole lot of people that don't refresh me. I generally will only hang out. If, if, if you invite me out for dinner... I would generally say no on a Saturday night, and it's not because I don't like you. It's just that on a Saturday, I need to make sure that I'm filling myself up because Sundays for me is just completely giving out. And so if I spend my Saturday giving out, I don't have anything on Sunday to give you, and then what I'm giving you on Sunday is overdraft. Are you with me? And so, so we have to categorize. It doesn't mean that we don't spend time with people that drain us. We just have to make sure we're balancing our sheet out. Okay, so we're going to hang out with these people over here. They're gonna, they might drain me a little bit. So what we need to do is make sure that we hang out with these people here because they'll refresh us so that we can then go in, pour out. 
If you don't believe me, this is the advice that Paul gave Timothy. In 2 Timothy 4, 9 to 15, this is what Paul says to him. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved his, this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Christians have gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tysias to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus and wherever that is, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Listen to this. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. What is Paul doing here with Timothy? He's going, mate, let me tell you about a few people so that you can categorize them and put them in the right places. These guys are good for me. This guy, Alexander, opposed me. You need to watch him. Be careful about your relationship with him. But with Luke and Mark, man, you want to embrace them. Paul is saying, there are some people I want you to know about. Some of them are useful and some of them are useless. So stay strong when some strong and, and, and make sure that you are putting people into the right categories so that you don't drain yourself. He's saying that some of these guys gave up, some of them threw in the towel and left, some of them opposed us, and you have to watch out for them, and some of them refresh us. So it's not a bad thing to categorize relationships and put people into certain categories. You're not labeling them, you're not judging them, you're just understanding how I need to be able to fill my tank so that I can also drain my tank. Don't look at me like this, because if you've been a parent, you understand this. As much as we love our children, sometimes they are the biggest vampires in the world. They suck the life out of you. Can I go to McDonald's? Can I go to McDonald's? No, we're not going to McDonald's. Can I go to McDonald's? Can I go to McDonald's? Please, can I go to McDonald's? No, we're not going to McDonald's. Please, Dad, can I go to McDonald's? Fine, we'll go to McDonald's. Just shut up. That's what I heard the neighbors. It's not my house. We love them, but they drain us. And that's why when they're younger, we love it. We've got them in bed, 7.30, they're in bed, they're asleep. Ah, oh, our time. And then they become teenagers, and you don't get your time because they're always around, and they go to bed later than you do. And then they mock you when you go to bed at 9.30 and call you old. But you've got to find, in your parenting, you've got to find time, you've got to find space where you can recharge, because sometimes kids can be very draining. Yes? Thank you. That leave me hanging. And so it's okay to categorize relationships, okay to categorize our kids sometimes and go, you know what? This week has been huge with them, so honey, what I need you to do is take them to the park for about... 50 hours while I just chill. It's not, late, it's not judging your kids, it's just categorizing them. 
It's just putting them into a certain place because you're drained and you need to get yourself. Let, let me put it this way. You need to have enough people irrigating you to offset the people in your life irritating you. You need to have enough people irrigating you, watering you, to offset the amount of people irritating you, draining you, because otherwise you will run dry. Some people are assets, some are liabilities, some people make deposits, some people make withdrawals. But if the withdrawals exceed the deposits, an overdraft is inevitable. And that's why sometimes we don't have anything left over to give to good people because that we love the most because we've given it all away and we've left nothing in reserve to those that we love the most. And the problem is we're giving our best to the people that are not good ground and we're running around thinking that everybody needs your love. And here's the thing for you. Everybody doesn't need your love. They need God's love through you. So you have to learn how to, in your life, not saying that this person is bad, but just go, you know what, that's a relationship that drains me, and so I need to make sure that I balance out my balance sheet because I want to spend time with them, I want to input into them, but for me to be able to do that, I need to spend time over here refreshing and replenishing. This person replenishes me, so when I'm drained, I'm going to hang out with them. This is why gathering on a Sunday is so important, because it replenishes you. That's why being in a connect group is so important, because it replenishes you. And if you go around and you've got a, a work scenario where you've got a boss or a work colleague that just drains you, constantly making withdrawals, I had a boss like that. I had a boss. This is what my first boss was like. I'd be home sick as a dog with the flu, and then I'd finally recover from it. I'd turn up to work the next day, and he'd call me into his office after lunch and say to me, were you really sick because you had a pretty big lunch today? It's honestly what he would say. He told me to lift this big, heavy object, and I said to him, I, I, I don't think I got the strength to do that, like, and he goes, oh, you just need to do it. So I bent down, probably did it all wrong, popped my back out. Couldn't, couldn't move. Went to the doctor. The doctor gave me two weeks off work, and, and I had physio and chiropractor and all that trying to get my back right. I was in so much pain. After four days, even though I gave him the doctor's certificate, after four days, he rings my dad and says to my dad, you need to tell your son to get back into work or he's going to lose his job. What a dick. <laughs> he drained me all week. So I couldn't wait to be in connect group on a Wednesday and church on a Sunday and around some of my church friends because they would replenish me so that I could then cope with dealing with the idiot. Are you with me? But what we tend to do, here's the, here's the problem what we tend to do. I feel so drained, I feel so tired, rather than connect with those that will replenish me, I'm just going to stay home. And so you just stay empty. 
And then you go to work the next day and they drain you a little bit more. And before you know it, you're in overdraft. And before you know it, you haven't been at church for about four or five weeks. You haven't been to connect group. You're not connecting with people that fill you. And then you get yourself into a really bad rut and habit. And you get out of fellowship. And you wonder why your life is not going the way that you want it to. It's because your balance sheet is all in overdraft. You can't blame the ATM machine when you go to withdraw money and there's no money there for you to withdraw. It's not the ATM's fault. It's your bank account's fault because you spent all your money. I remember when the kids were little, I used to... I remember um, it might have been Madison. She might have been about five or six at the time and... She wanted, uh, at that time in the warehouse, they had those ride-on, like, horses, you know, the battery-powered ones. You remember those? Okay, fine. And, and, you'd, and you could sit on them, you could ride them around the house and outside and all sorts. She says, Daddy, can I have one of them? It's only $600. <laughs> to which my response was, no, baby, we can't afford that. Just put it on your credit card. <laughs> Honey, the credit card's not free money. You have to pay it off. Oh, do you? She literally thought that you just get free money off your credit card. How awesome would that be? I'm signing up to that economy. You can't blame, you can't blame other people. You can't blame the ATM machine. If you go to withdraw and there's nothing there to withdraw, it's because you haven't balanced your sheet out correctly. You haven't categorized relationships properly. That's why sometimes when the enemy is having a real go at you or a situation arises and the devil's having a real go at you and you start praying and you start drawing on your spiritual deposits and nothing shifts. And in fact, it feels like he just laughs at you. Why? Because your spiritual account is empty because the last time you picked up your Bible was months ago. The last time you prayed was months ago. The last time you worshipped was months ago. The last time you attended church was about four weeks ago. The last time you were in Connect Group was years ago. And you've got nothing there to draw on. And he's just not even afraid of you because your spiritual account is so in overdraft. There's nothing there for you to draw on. Because you stop reading your word and you stop praying and you stop giving and you stop attending church and you stop depositing and your account is empty and it's an overdraft. But God loves you. But he wants you to fight. He wants you to fight. You can't sit back in this season and just go, God, I need you to move and then just wait. Because even though David declared before he defeated Goliath, that the battle belongs to the Lord, he still had to run with his sling and cut his head off. You don't get to sit back and just go, you have to fight. And sometimes, if I'm honest with you, I have to fight to read my word. 
I have to fight to pray. I have to fight to worship. I have to fight to do those things because sometimes I don't feel like it. But my life is not ruled by feelings, but ruled by kingdom values and kingdom principles. And that's what defines us. And so I read my Bible, even though it's hard. And I pray, even though it's hard, because I need to top up my tank. So when the enemy comes, there's plenty of stuff there for me to draw on. When we say to God that we're tired, or we're so lonely, or we're so depressed... I would suggest to you that God is probably saying back to you that you've allowed your liabilities to outweigh your assets and you need to get your balance sheet right. I just want you to understand something as a pastor to you that I love every single person in this room. I really do. I honestly really love you. And I will do everything I can to help you. But ultimately, I am one person that needs to have a life too. And we're not going to be a church that runs around chasing people left, right, and center. If you need help, we will be there for you. We will carry you in crisis, but we will walk with you in life. And I see a lot at the moment in some other churches talking to other pastors where it's, they're just getting completely and totally worn out, running around, chasing everybody up to find out where they are. We have to make a choice to lay down our lives and follow him. Pick up your cross and go after him. We're called to go and make disciples, not sit at home. Sorry, it sounds really awful today, doesn't it? I just think we need to be like Paul and make sure that we have a healthy portfolio and go, hey, here's my mark. There's my John Mark. He's good for me. I'm going to make sure I've got John Mark in my life. But I'm going to watch out for Alexander because he's a punk. See, Matthew 5.44 says this. But I tell you, and I finish on this this morning, if, if Zoe can come, that'll be awesome. Says this, but I tell you, love your enemies. This may not be unbelievable for you, but when I read that this week, I had this kind of God explosion moment. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies. Jesus didn't say you won't have enemies. He just said this is how you respond to them. And I think we sometimes think that if I give my life to Jesus, they're going to be amazing and fantastic and perfect, and everything's going to be bright in the world, and there's going to be sprinkles and rainbows and fairy dust. But he says, love your enemies, because you'll have enemies. You'll have people that are against you. You'll have people that drain you. You'll have people that fight against you. But our response is not to cut them off. It's to categorize them and love them and put them in the right spot relationally. If you're going to love them like you should, then you're going to have to know who they are. And to love your enemies, you have to know your enemies. And I'm not talking about being paranoid all the time and walking around, you know, I'm not talking about walking around with files on everyone, you know, pulling out your phone and going, 
Oh, yeah. That's, that's Andre, yeah. Got, got a few things here about Andre. Lene, she's all right. She, she looks like she's good. Rama, whoo. Man. I'm not talking about being paranoid. But the reason why I think we need to categorize relationships properly is so that we can approach them appropriately. You see, sometimes I have in my life treated people that drain me poorly because I've not understood the role that they play in my life and so I haven't responded to them appropriately. When we understand and we get their relationship categorized correctly, then we can approach it appropriately. So when my kids were little and I knew that they weren't going to bring any income into the house, I knew that they weren't going to be of much help around the house, I had to categorize that the reality is while your kids are small, that the relationship you have with them is that they constantly take from you. So I had to approach relationships where my kids were small is that my relationship with them is about being a giver to them because they're small and so they can only take, they can't give much. Well, they give you love, but you know, around the house and stuff. Now that they're older, now they can vacuum, clean the bathroom and toilet, cook at least once a week. Now they're participators and I'm the taker. And when I get really old, we can spend six months at one of their houses and six months at the other one's house and they can take care of us and I can repay them for all the taking they did when they were little by taking as I get older. Just joking. Or am I, Seth? You see, here's the thing. I understood when they were little that they were going to take and not really give. And that's okay. So when I was tired, when I was worn out, when I have some stuff going on where I feel like I'm drained, what do I got to do? What do I got to do? Well, I need, need input. I said, how do I get input? Well, I hang out with Trinity and I talk to her because she's my best friend. And I love hanging out with her. And, and as much as I love hanging out with you, I love hanging out with her more. I listen to podcasts in the car or going for a walk or, and I input, I put worship on. I just don't really listen to the radio or anything. I just have worship continually going on. I play golf. It's the Lord's game. Why do I do all that? Because it gets me deposits. So that when I, can come, when I come on Sundays, I can just give out because I've built up. I've built up an account. But I also realize that there are times where I realize I'm about to hit overdraft. And that's why I have to have conversations with like the oversight, like Rimmer and Lance, and just say, hey guys, I need to, I need to go away for a week and just chill out because I'm in overdraft. Just, we just need to understand. We need to make sure that, we get, that we're paying attention. Because if I don't do that, 
And if you don't do that, but we're just going to use me as an example. If I don't make sure I'm depositing and I'm just always giving all the time, I will end up in overdraft and I can tell you what will happen. I'll end up doing something really, really stupid and I'll end up on the front page of a newspaper. Like we see now. And it's all because, in my opinion, they haven't stopped and made sure that they're replenishing before they're giving out. And so you go into overdraft and you end up doing something stupid. And so we need to watch our balance sheet. We need to categorize relationships appropriately so that we can respond appropriately. But first and foremost, we just need to lay down our lives and go, you know what? There's nothing for you to take because Jesus has it all. There's nothing for you to drain from me because Jesus has it all. And then the cool thing about that is this, is that as you're inputting into those people that tend to drain you, it's not you that's going out, but it's the love of God that's going out because the Bible says that God fills us and keeps filling us until there's overflow. But when we try to do it in our own strength, we've got to rely on our ability to fill the tank. But when we do it in His strength, not only can we fill our tank, but out of the overflow, we fill the tank of others. Why don't we just all close our eyes just for a moment. And I just want to ask you a question. It's like if you're really honest with yourself right now, have you categorized some relationships wrongly and so you are reacting to them not appropriately but inappropriately? And so instead of loving on that person, you're tending to snap and snarl at that person. And it's not their fault. It's just that you've got the wrong category going on. Or maybe you're just the kind of person that just gives out all the time and you've not actually thought about making sure that I'm replenishing and making sure my balance sheet is right. Can I suggest this also, that if all you're ever doing is just replenishing yourself and not then giving out of yourself, then you actually just become selfish because the ultimate thing in the kingdom is serving others, but we only can serve others when we replenish. But if all we do is replenish ourselves and we don't serve others, then, then what happens is it just goes stale because it's the flowing water that continually is pure. You've got to give out so that you can take in. And maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I, I have re, I have, I've just put people into the wrong categories or I've labeled them rather than putting them into a category. I, I, I've just stopped. You know, when I, when I saw my, my um, supervisor back in February and I was really drained and I was really, I was in overdraft. And he just said to me, what have you stopped doing that replenishes you? And all of a sudden I realized all the things that I used to do to replenish me, I just stopped at the start of the year. I don't know why, I just stopped it. So I put them all back in place and now I feel replenished every single week. I don't feel like I'm in overdraft anymore. So what have you stopped doing that you need to start doing again? And what relationships have you categorized wrong and so therefore you're, you are responding to them incorrectly? And now I'm just going to pray for you. 
that as you go about your week, you'll start to reinstate those things that replenish you and that with God's help, you'll learn to categorize people correctly so that you're actually loving on them appropriately. And so, Father, we pray right now in this moment, as they think about the things that they've stopped doing that they need to do to replenish themselves, as they think about some of the people that have caused them pain and heartache, some of the vampires that have possibly drained them, Lord, that you would help them to put them into the right category this week, Lord, so that we can love them, because God, we're called to love them. You had this ability, God, where you could love every single person. It didn't matter who they were or what their background was. You always had time for them. You were always able to love them because you had an ability to replenish yourself. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't put people in a category of too hard basket, but we'd put them into the category, okay, I'm going to make sure I've replenished myself before I start to love on them, because everybody needs to be loved, and God, it's up to us to make sure we've got our balance sheet right. Help us to lay down our lives so that nobody can take from us because we've already given it to you. And so, God, I pray right now in this moment, in this week, Lord, that you would help them, Lord, to lay down their lives to you, to start putting back in place the things that replenish them and to start to treat people appropriately so that we can see them transformed and them with the love of God in them. And so God, help us, we pray, as we do that this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, um... I hope that this week for you is just a really amazing week of just getting things back into your life that replenishes you and just realizing that some people in your life who you thought are just a pain in your butt are actually just people you've categorized wrong. And if you put them into the right category and make sure you're doing the replenishing, you'll be able to love on them appropriately and correctly. Because at the end of the day, everybody needs to be loved. And the church is the hope of the world. And the only place people will find true love is in the arms of God through you. And so we can do this. We can put people in the right spots. We can replenish ourselves. We can make sure we get ourselves locked in so that we're constantly filling ourselves up so that we can pour out into those around us. Hey, God bless you. Have an incredible, great week. Stick around and have coffee with us and tea and hot chocolate and get to know people. Yeah, not tea, sorry. Tea, tea, tea is a liability. Coffee is an asset. And so uh, I want to encourage you this week. Let's, let's get out there. Let's love on people appropriately and correctly. God bless. We'll see you all next Sunday.